Uh, years ago, just after we moved here to Indiana, I kind of got interested in geocaching. How many of you have ever heard of geocaching? And geocaching is people will take a, a, an item, a, a a container, and they'll go hide it somewhere. And it might be hidden uh, just outside the church. Or it might be hidden in the woods. It might be hidden in a park. And then they'll take the longitude and latitude coordinates and publish those with some clues on the Internet. And then before iPhones, you had like a GPS unit that you would use to find those coordinates, and you'd go looking for this, this container, this hidden item. And when you found the container, it felt like an adventure. It felt like searching for buried treasure. But when you couldn't find the container, it wasn't any fun at all. It felt a lot like life, because all of my life, I spend my life looking for my keys, for my wallet. I'm constantly losing things and searching for them. How many of you hate looking for something that you've lost? I hate that. And so when you'd go looking and you couldn't find it, it was not fun at all. There were a couple times that I took the youth group back when I was leading our youth group services and took the youth group and I made the mistake of taking them on a couple that were, that were really hard to find and their interest lasted about a minute and a half. Then they were over it. They wanted to do something else. Searching for something and not being able to find it is no fun. But when you can search for something and find it, that's exciting. What I want you to walk away from this message with today is that the search that all of us are on, the seeking that all of us are a part of, that it can be found what we are looking for. Just a moment ago, we sang in Jesus, You Alone, I've searched the world. And that's what every one of us is doing. We are searching for the world for love, for meaning, for significance. And I want you to see in this passage of Scripture, that what we are searching for can be found. Second Chronicles chapter 7 tells us, in verse 13, When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, or when there is a pandemic, when those things happen, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, two weeks ago we talked about humbling ourselves and how we can only humble ourselves when we recognize that we are God's people called by His name, that when we have security in who we are in God's eyes, then we can humble ourselves. But we'll never, never humble us ourselves if we are insecure in who we are. And then last week, we looked at turning from our wicked ways. We talked about repenting of the evil paths that we are on, the evil systems that we find ourselves in. And today, I want us to look at that, that action, that call to action that's in the middle of the passage. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. The idea of the word translated to pray is the idea of intercede. And to intercede means to step in between. It means to intervene. It's to go between two parties. 
So imagine two of your friends on the playground at elementary school are about to fight one another, and you step between them, you intervene, you intercede, you in intercept that conflict. And the people here are called to step between the nation of Israel and God. To step between the people who have turned their backs on God and are experiencing His judgment. To step between them and God and intervene to intercede for them. There's a really good picture of this in the people of Israel's history. When Moses led them out of Egypt... God rescues them from slavery, takes them through the Red Sea, and then meets with them at Mount Sinai. Moses goes up into the mountain to meet with God, and God is giving him the law, including the Ten Commandments. And while God and Moses are talking, the people down below, they're starting to wonder what's taking him so long to come back down the mountain. They're wondering where Moses is at. So they fashion a golden calf, an idol that they'll worship. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how Moses comes down and he sees what the people are doing and he is so upset that he throws the Ten Commandments, he throws the two tablets that God has written the law on, he throws them down and breaks them. How many of you have ever been so mad you could throw something? Yeah, absolutely. Moses is mad enough at the people that he throws this, but before Moses goes down and he has that moment, God says to Moses, Moses, wait. Hold up, just, just stay right here. I'm going to go and I'm going to kill all of the people. And I'm going to start over from scratch with you. And Moses begs God. He intercedes for the people and says, God, do not do this thing. Remember the covenants that you have made to their ancestors, to their fathers, like Abraham and Isaac. Remember the covenants that you have made. Remember the, the witness that this people is among the nations. Do not do this thing. And Scripture tells us that God changed his mind or repented of the harm he was going to bring to the people. Moses steps between God and the people. He is about to go and wipe them out. But Moses steps between and begs God to show them mercy. Now, knowing that Moses was angry at them, it's pretty powerful that he intercedes for them. But what we see in Moses in that moment is probably the, the emotion that every parent has felt or every child of a parent has felt from their parent. That moment when your parent loves you, but they're so mad at you that they could kill you. When I was a boy, um, some friends from the neighborhood and I, we, we went to this patch of woods that was near our neighborhood. We had gotten permission to go to this patch of woods we were there playing, we were kind of exploring, and the time got away from us. We didn't realize how late in the day it had gotten. And we'd wandered deeper and deeper into the woods than we realized. And it had never occurred to me that I was in any kind of trouble until I heard my father's voice calling through the woods for me. And I realized, if dad has come looking for me in the woods, there's a problem. Now, what I didn't know is that all of my friend's parents had gotten together wondering where we were at, and they were making their way through the woods calling for us. And so we came running back, and when my father saw me, I could tell that he was relieved that I was okay, but I also thought, he's going to kill me. Moses is angry at the people, so angry that he'll throw the tablets down. But he also loves the people. He loves them enough to intercede for them. 
Can I be honest with you? The world makes me mad. The world is backwards, upside down, wandering into a path of destruction. And the world makes me so angry that there are times that I, I watch the news or I see what's playing out, what's happening, and I, I, I don't want to see it anymore. I'm just fed up. And I would bet that you could identify with that. But I'm afraid that we're getting to the place where our prayers are characterized less and less by love and more and more by righteous indignation. We're praying for the world because the world needs to get its act together. We're praying for the world because we're fed up with the way that the world is going. We're praying for the world because we're so sick and tired of how those people are acting. And I totally understand the frustration. And our indignation, our anger, might be righteous indignation or righteous anger, but if we become more and more indignant and less and less loving... We'll stop praying for people and start praying at them. Moses interceded for the people. Moses stepped between God and the people. Would we be willing to do that? Or are we at a place where we say, get them, God. Teach them a lesson. They need to be taught a lesson. I have a, have a mentor who we have a scheduled call every month. And early on in our relationship, it was characterized by me talking to him, asking him questions, because he's, he's older, he's wiser, he's been in ministry longer. But for the last several months, it's been different. Because the fact that he's older, wiser, been in ministry longer, doesn't really help as much in the middle of a pandemic because all of this is unprecedented. And so we continue to have our calls, and I continue to ask questions, but a lot of it is, you know, I don't really know. We had our call just this past week, and we, we just kind of had a little bit of a, of a session together of complaining about how difficult things are right now. So that was this week, and then Friday evening, my coaches. 16 or 17-year-old son was in a really bad car accident. He sent me a picture of the truck, and you look at the truck and you think nobody walked away from that. But his son walked away with just a bruise. He survived. And we texted back and forth about how it just kind of changes the perspective on how everything is going right now. And when we get our perspective in the right place, when we look at people, not just with frustration at the way that the world is going, but also out of love and concern, our prayers will be intercessory prayers. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and then he doesn't move on to turning from their wicked ways. He expands on the idea of prayer. He says, if my people who are called by my name will pray and what? And seek my face. Seek my face. 
Have you ever heard someone say, I miss your face? Now, hopefully they miss more than your face, right? It'd be a little creepy if they only missed your face. The idea is that they miss you. But the face is kind of the, the, the image of, of us. If I said for you to think about your mom, most likely you would picture your mom's face. But there's a whole lot more to your mother than her face. There's her strength and her sense of humor. When we went into quarantine and we weren't able to see each other at all, there was this, there was this initial interest in getting together on Zoom because we were able to see one another's faces and talk to one another and see one another. But it wasn't the same, was it? Because hearing someone's voice and seeing their face, it's better than nothing, but it still doesn't hold a candle to being together. And when God says, seek my face, He's telling us that we should be seeking Him. We should be seeking Him out to be with Him. The word is face, but the idea is presence. We should be seeking God's presence. When I have the opportunity to travel back to Virginia, I don't go to see my mom's face. I go to be with my family. To go to be present with them. And what we should be searching for, what we should be seeking out, is God's presence. And you know, this is what we've been searching for ever since the garden. You see, in the garden, we were able to walk with God in the cool of the day. We were experiencing His presence. But then, because of sin, we were put outside of the garden, and the gate to the garden was blocked or guarded by an angel with a flaming sword. And if you read through the story of Scripture, you see that it's just a story of man trying to get back into the presence of God. After the flood, what does man do? Man begins to build the Tower of Babel. And what did they say? That we will build it so tall that it reaches to the heavens. They were looking for a way to build a system that they could get to heaven, that they could get back into the presence of God, that they could reach divinity on their own terms. And throughout Israel's history, what we see again and again is that when they fall into worshiping idols, they are seeking that divine presence through their own terms. They're attracted to the idols because there's a statue that's there with them. Now, what's the setting of this passage? Do you remember? Solomon, the wise, powerful king, has established the temple. And he's dedicated the temple, and God speaks to Solomon in this moment at the temple. He's responding to Solomon's prayer that God would come and dwell in the temple, that his presence would be there. And God's presence fills the temple so powerfully that the people have to get out. They can't handle it. It's too much presence. Let's look back at our passage again. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Verse 15, Now my eyes will be open 
and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. He's saying this temple that you have built, it will be a place that I fill with my presence. It will be a place where you can call on me and I will hear your prayer. It would be a place set apart in the middle of the nation, set apart for God's people to come and meet with him. And in fact, there was a place set apart within that temple that was set apart. Within the set apart place, in the temple, was the Holy of Holies where God's presence was. And even when people came to the temple to worship, they could not go into the Holy of Holies. This temple would be destroyed because the people would turn their back on God. A new one would be built. And again, God would meet with His people, but they could not come into that place of the Holy of Holies. And again, they would turn to idols, and God's presence would leave the temple. And it would be an empty and dead place. And God's presence would not be physically in that temple until Jesus walked in it or was carried in it as a boy. And Jesus grows to be a man, regularly making trips to the temple, preaching in the temple, eventually throwing money changers out of the temple, saying that this place is to be a place of prayer, a place of God's people seeking after Him, but you've made it into a marketplace. And the people would be so upset at what Jesus had done in the temple and the things that he'd said about the temple that they would kill him. And when they killed him and he died on the cross, Scripture tells us that the curtain, the veil that separated that set-apart place in the set-apart place, that curtain, that veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, that it was torn in two. You see, throughout history, we've been trying to get back to God's presence, and we're not able to. So God came to us, and He tore open the veil, and He threw open the doors of the temple, and He came to live in every believer. You see, to experience healing in our land, we don't need to get everything right. We don't need to push all the right buttons. We just need to experience the presence of God. And He's here with us now. We need His presence. But here's what happens to us. We become distracted. And we become numb. And we start to lose the sense of His presence we begin to forget that He is here. In June, I, I took three days to just go away. I went to a cabin in the middle of nowhere just to read and pray and spend time with God. Because I knew that for us to make it through this season, for me to make it through this season, I had to experience God's presence. 
And from that experience of just setting everything aside to spend time with God, to be in His presence, I walked away with a more profound sense of the power of prayer. You see, God tells us here to pray and seek His face, but I believe that as we pray and seek His face and we experience His presence, we'll be prone more to prayer and seeking His face. And never in my life have I believed more in the power of prayer than I do right now. As a result of that time in God's presence. So God's been doing this work in my heart. And then last week, there's a prayer request I've been praying about for a long time. It's a private, personal request of a friend that I've been praying over and praying over and praying over, and then it seemed like God had decided to say no. And I had struggled with having peace with God's answer. But last week I got the phone call. That prayer had been answered. I believe that God is leading us into a place where will either either through desperation or inspiration will once again become a people of prayer. Either through desperation or inspiration, we will become a people of prayer. That's what needs to happen if our land will be healed. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, I ask that we would experience your presence. Lord, that your spirit would either bring comfort or conviction. Lord, that that you would put us in a place of desperation or inspiration so that there is a change that is brought about in us, that we become a people of prayer, that your house is a house of prayer. Lord, I ask that we would be people who pray and seek your presence, who go searching for you, who cast everything off to the side to be wholly focused, attentive on you, seeking you. Lord, we recognize that we need to be humbled. Lord, I pray that we would see that that we have this relationship with you, that you have this love for us, that we are secure in you, and there is nothing that we need to cling to or grasp to, that we should be willing to lay it aside to see who we truly are in your presence. Lord, we know that there are sins among us, Lord, wickedness, wicked paths, wicked ways that we need to turn from, that we need to repent of. Lord, I pray that we would be so overwhelmed with the desire to seek your presence that what we leave behind, what we turn away from, would not give us a moment's hesitation. Lord, as we seek your face, we seek your presence, that we will be so moved that we come to believe in the power of prayer and we give ourselves over to prayer. That we would be a people who seek your face. God, we know that there are so many things that we have, we have gone to in this world, we have searched for in this world, that we have tried to find what we are looking for within. They have proven to be empty wells. Lord, I pray that we would see that you are the only one. You and you alone are the only one who can give us what it is that our hearts are searching for.
Lord, I pray that you work in this moment, that you would work in this season, that you would work in this crisis to change us. Lord, that you'd use this bad to bring about good and your glory. Lord, that we would not walk out on the other side of this just the same but delayed. Lord, that we'd not walk out on the other side of this doing the same old things. But Lord, that there would be a marked difference in us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me? They're going to lead us in a song. You sing along with us.